Hello, nutrition enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Diet NPO podcast. My name is Zach, and I'll be your host. Burr, it is officially kind of starting to freeze around here for us. How about you folks? It was 43 degrees this morning when I wake up, so I know everyone keeps talking about how it is fall season and everything like that, but I really do feel like at this point we can pretty much just be skipping fall because it seems like we all skip it in the first place. At least when the sun gets up a little bit, uh, it really gets a lot warmer. I know I went for a nice 20 bike, 20 mile bike ride this morning and it felt pretty good even with the sweatshirt on, so I remember I was in a really good spot. I guess the only benefit of falling asleep when it's super cold in the house a lot of the time is I always think of that Hulu documentary with Shia, that Shia LaBeouf's in about McEnroe and Borg, the two tennis stars when they're battling. And I remember hearing about how Borg used to fall asleep in his room at 53 degrees to keep his heart rate as low as possible at night. So maybe I'm just trying to be a tennis star in that case. Yet, we have to turn on our furnace sometimes. We haven't really gotten to that point. The only issue with that is then is that we all sleep upstairs and then that's where all the heat rises in our house. And I have a giant dog with a double coat who ends up just waking me up in the middle of the night just because he's panting so loudly. And then I'm just getting him buckets of water basically just to give him drinks throughout the night. So it's just a vicious cycle really. The fall does bring some of my favorite flavors a lot of the time, even if it does bring some of the cold weather. And no, I don't mean pumpkin spice, but I mean some of those savory fall flavors, especially those soups, which I am very happy about. But for all the RDs to be, I wanted to hone in today by giving my tips for studying MNT concepts. I'd say that step one to understanding MNT is first we have to understand the digestion, absorption, and the organ system and its function. This helps to give us a good background of what the organ system does so that when it's impaired, we're going to know how the body actually is going to compensate in that case. But if you feel you're jumping straight into MNT without having a good understanding of the organ system or the digestion and absorption, you're probably doing it kind of wrong, so it's better to set yourself up for success in the beginning. A good example of this is knowing like what the kidneys do, right? We know that the kidneys are responsible for filtering out waste, regulating blood pressure, the production of our hormone erythropoietin. We know that also it's gonna be doing a lot with our vitamin D activation as well. Erythropoietin is that critical hormone that helps with the red blood cell production in our bone marrow. So definitely a lot of important stuff, not just being the filter of the body. So now that I have a good understanding of the kidney, I can kind of get a little deeper into it. Step two is then to start looking at this disease of the kidney and understanding what the kidney does. And then I'm gonna understand what the kidney, what happens to the kidney when it sucks basically. So step two is I'll look at each disease and then I'll think about the pathophysiology of that disease and kind of what's causing this as well as the whole evolution of the disease in that case. So in the case of the kidneys, we understand that a kidney stone, for example, is also known as nephrolithiasis, is basically when we get this buildup of a high solute load in the kidneys, because maybe we're not drinking enough water, or we have too high of an intake of a type of food, and then those solutes are basically building up in the kidneys, crystallizing, and then forming a stone. So we know that's kind of the pathophysiology of what's causing this, but we can't know that until we know what the kidneys really did in the first place, right? Finally, step three is to understand the MNT, the treatment that would be associated to prevent this condition or treat it once it's occurred. 
we have a high solute load, then in the case of kidney stones, you can naturally assume that increasing our fluid intake will really help to clear out those solutes a lot. Uh, another thought is that decreasing the amount of oxalates that we consume, because oxalates are one of those stones, and oxalates are present in alcohol and coffee and tea, and that can help you out, as well as decreasing those acidic animal proteins in our diet, losing weight, um, trying not to eat too much sodium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, all those things help make sure that we prevent that storm, storm, that stone formation. Sorry, there's a hurricane going on. Now it's got me thinking of storms all the time. I recommend when it comes to the calories and protein, the first thing that I recommend is just starting with understanding just kind of if the calories are going to be increased or decreased, as the same with the protein. Are they going to be increased in this type of condition or decreased? So that final advanced step would probably be to get down to those specifics of those saying, hey, 35 kcals per kilogram, for example, or 0.6 grams per kilogram of protein, depending on the disease type as well as any micronutrients that would be required for that specific MNT. Since we're already talking about it, I wanted to stick with those kidneys today to really help give everyone a good presentation of all the kidney diseases and the associated MNT. So strap in for a rundown of the kidneys and its diseases. Now, I already introduced the, the functions of the kidney to you, discussing their role as a filter, but let's learn a little bit about the conditions where these filters end up failing. Starting with an AKI, or an acute kidney injury as it's known, AKIs are a sudden reduction in the GFR, or glomerulus filtration rate. Typically this occurs in otherwise healthy kidneys, but can be caused by such things such as severe dehydration, trauma, surgery, infection, sepsis, nephrotoxicity from medications, cancers, kidney stones, or rhabdomyolysis. These can be all things that can cause an acute kidney injury. Some signs and symptoms would be oliguria, which is basically that low decreased urine output, low GFR, as well as azotemia, which means high levels of urea. Our filters are impacted, so we need to consider this for the MNT, especially just like all kidney disease. For calorie needs, we can expect that depending on the cause, we're probably gonna have some mild to moderate increases in calories. Unless we're in like a sepsis type of situation where we'd obviously have very high calorie needs, we're probably gonna have some mild to moderate increases in calories just due to that amount of stress. Now the amount of protein is gonna depend on how we treat this disease. Some patients might require continuous renal replacement therapy or dialysis, and that's going to act to help clear out those waste products from the blood, doing the job of the kidneys, right? I'll begin by digging into the dialysis a little more soon here, but we know that if we aren't on dialysis, we usually need to restrict the protein. This is because those filters are already impacted, and we don't want to place further protein in that system because it's just going to place further stress on the kidneys, which is what we don't want. So when it comes to an acute kidney injury, it can vary. Usually we say about 0.5 to 0.8 grams per kilogram of protein will be just fine just to prevent those kidneys while they're in this acute state. But if we were on dialysis, remember, we're always supposed to be giving higher amounts of calories compared to not dialysis. That could be something as high as one, even two grams per kilogram or 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilogram on a patient for CRRT. 
Our goal will be for fluid and electrolyte imbalance, but certainly not overdoing it until those kidneys have reached a healthy state because we don't want to put any further stress on those kidneys. Likely, we're going to restrict some, some sodium, potassium, and phosphorus as well. Now let's get into the chronic side, and I'm not saying that kind of chronic, I'm saying chronic kidney disease. This has similar characteristics of acute kidney injuries, but that reduction in GFR is reduced due to a chronic means as opposed to acute means. There are about five stages of CKD characterized by the GFR. So if our GFR is about 90 to 130, we're largely at about a normal GFR or stage one CKD, you could say. Stage two, it kind of goes start going down from there. 60 to 90 being for stage two, 30 to 60 being for stage three, 30 to 15 for stage four. And if our GFR is less than 15, usually we're characterized as being in stage five kidney disease, also known as end-stage renal, oh my gosh, end-stage renal disease where that GFR is less than 15. Causes can be anything such as chronic hypertension, diabetes is usually the most common thing, excessive toxicities, or even renal cancer. Signs and symptoms would include that decreased GFR, lots of electrolyte imbalance, azotemia, lower edema, we got edema across our body, fatigue, or even that oligorrhea. Our MNT would be similar to that to an AKI and is going to depend on whether we are on dialysis or not. When we start out with that protein needs, we know that for if, if we're not on dialysis, as we get closer and closer to that stage five, we're probably going to be restricting protein even more. So usually we say as we go down, we'd, you know, in those early stages, we're going to go as low as 0.6 to 0.8 grams per kilogram, usually for the protein. And until we get on dialysis, that's probably going to be as much as we restrict protein, going even as low as that 0.6 grams per kilogram there. But when we are on dialysis, now we know we're going to need to add more protein. So for hemodialysis, we do 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram. And for peritoneal dialysis, it'll be 1 to 1.3 grams per kilogram. And I'll go into a little bit why. Regarding our energy needs, usually we say about 35 kcals per kilogram to spare that protein tissue and work on weight maintenance. We're not trying to lose any weight during this time. But what about sodium? Well, as our function gets poorer, we will want to restrict sodium, potassium, and phosphorus as these will further place stress on the kidneys. Once being dialyzed, we don't necessarily need to restrict these things as much. But in general, we're still going to be restricting a lot of these electrolytes, making sure we're not going to end up with too much load on the kidneys in that case. With dialysis, we will restrict, like I said, the phosphorus is going to be limited to about one gram per day. Sodium is going to be limited to about two grams per day. Same with the potassium, about two grams per day is what we're going to limit, but you can even go lower than that. Now, let's also discuss the different types of dialysis now, as you might need a little review. Hemodialysis is that very large machine where patients go to a dialysis center about three times per week to go and get that dialysis done. The dialysis is basically taking their blood out of their body, running it through the machine, cleaning it out and filtering out all those waste products, and then it's filtering and putting that blood back into the body as we can't just leave it all out of there. This is difficult for some people because it's very time intensive, of course, requires you to go to a dialysis center three times per week. That is a lot. Peritoneal dialysis is our second type of dialysis. 
And this is one where people can do at home on their own. This, the whole thought of peritoneal dialysis is there's this area of the peritoneum, which is kind of this membrane area between the areas surrounding our organs and the abdomen. And what we do is, is we end up feeding a dextrose solution, a dialysate, into that peritoneum. So it kind of sits there like the fluid. And via osmosis, that potassium, sodium, phosphorus, albumin, and all those other waste products, via osmosis, they go towards that dialysate solution and out of the blood. Then we're just gonna drain out that area of the peritoneum to get all those waste products out of there. A couple things to remember here is that we absorb a good amount of that dextrose and peritoneal dialysis. So that's why we kind of restrict our sugars just a little bit because we usually have some high blood sugars or blood sugar in fluctuations. Another thing is, is we also lose a good amount of albumin in our blood through this osmosis type of process. This is why peritoneal dialysis gets that 1.3 grams per kilogram compared to hemodialysis, which gets the 1.2 grams per kilogram. So still having high protein needs, but now you see why peritoneal has just a little bit higher protein in that case. We also have another type of dialysis, which is called continuous renal replacement therapy, CRRT as it's also known. This is usually used in the clinical setting, and it's really much more like a 24-hour type of dialysis. And the benefits of this would be, we're gonna have a lot less fluid and electrolyte imbalance, and it may be a better option for a patient who is very hemodynamically unstable. Someone in end-stage renal disease may be having what is called nephrotic syndrome, which a lot of students tend to get mixed up with. They think it's its own disease, really. Nephrotic syndrome is not a disease, but rather it is a syndrome that's associated with kidney diseases. It is characterized by excessive urinating of other proteins in our body. So we're losing tons of albumin because we're just urinating out all this protein through that area, causing edema, hypercholesterolemia, as well as abnormal bone metabolism. Now that you all stuck around so well, let's apply some practice questions to really hone these in. Which of the following would be an appropriate diet for a patient with acute kidney injury that is not on dialysis? Okay, so we're thinking appropriate diet for an AKI, but not on dialysis. Would it be A, high protein, high sodium? B, low sodium, high potassium? C, fluid-restricted diet with protein controlled, or D, high calorie, high phosphorus. Okay, I'm gonna do my process of elimination here to really break down what's a bad answer, what's a good one. Well, starting with high protein, high sodium, that's A. I don't think that's gonna be indicated for a AKI. It'll depend on their labs, but largely, we don't wanna place a lot of high stress or high load on those kidneys. They're already kinda of impacted there. I'm gonna rule out A, because I know that's definitely not the best case. B, low sodium, high potassium. Well, I do like low sodium, but do I wanna put them on a high potassium diet? I don't really think so there. So I'm gonna rule that one out as well. C, fluid restricted diet with protein controlled. I am gonna hold on to this one as I do like the idea of a fluid restriction. We don't wanna place further stress on the kidneys. And protein controlled kinda of to me just seems like we're gonna make sure they get enough protein, but we're not gonna overdo it. Then D, High calorie, okay, high protein diet. Well, no, definitely not high protein. That's not our focus here. Unless we know something about the sepsis of the situation, I don't want high protein in this case. So I'm gonna rule that out. 
making C a fluid-restricted protein-controlled diet would probably be the best situation for an acute kidney injury not on dialysis. Let's do another. Which of the following would, like, would be the most likely cause of chronic kidney disease? So chronic kidney disease, what are the causes of it? Would it be A, diabetes, B, hypotension, C, GERD, or D, low sodium diet? All right, let's take a look here. So with that, I know that diabetes, well, the thought about diabetes is, is it's very stressful on the blood vessels. This can cause some issues in the kidneys themselves as they do have their own blood vessels. So I like dialysis. I know that's a really big reason. It's probably the major reason why people end up with an acute kidney injury. So I'm going to hold on to that real quick. What about B? Hypotension. So that's low blood pressure. Is low blood pressure going to be the reason that I end up in, a, in CKD? Probably not. Usually it's hypertension that causes CKD because, again, it's all that damage to those blood vessels that are filtering things out. So I'm going to get rid of that. C, GERD. Well, GERD, we know it's associated with a lot of uh, obesity-type diseases, certainly. But no, I'm not going to think of GERD as going to be my best fit there. I don't think they're very related to the kidneys in that case. Or D, a low-sodium diet. Nope, I don't think that's going to be my case either because usually it's that high-sodium, poor diet, high-animal-protein-type diet that's going to cause that. So I'm going to say that A, diabetes, is my best answer of the most likely cause of CKD. Number three, if a client goes on hemodialysis, which condition should a dietitian consider in the long term? Okay, would it be A, hypokalemia and hyperphosphatemia, B, dyslipidemia and osteodystrophy, C, hyperkalemia and hypophosphatemia, or D, hypotension and diabetes. Let's use this elimination, that's a big one for this. So we know that they're going to be going on hemodialysis. We're gonna be concerned, especially if they have some type of end-stage renal disease, we wanna be thinking that we're restricting a lot of our potassium, phosphorus, sodium, most of the time we're gonna restrict those things, almost always. So when I look at A, hypokalemia, which is low potassium, and hyperphosphatemia. I don't think that's going to be both. I would be concerned of hyperphosphatemia with dialysis because the thought is, is we want to make sure they're restricting that enough, but I don't think hypokalemia is going to be my biggest worry. I'm going to rule out A because I'm not going to have both of those like that. B, dyslipidemia and osteodystrophy. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm a little questionable about it, but I think I know why. C, hyperkalemia and hypophosphatemia. So that'd be high potassium in the blood and low phosphorus in the blood. No, I'd be concerned if they were both high, certainly, but I'm not going to be concerned when just potassium is high and just phosphorus is low. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And lastly, D, hypotension, low blood pressure, and diabetes. I don't think those are going to be totally related to CKD, so I'm going to really get rid of that as our answer. Making B, dyslipidemia and osteodystrophy as my best example. And here's why. We talked about that nephrotic syndrome where we're going to be urinating out a lot of the albumin in our blood. So what happens is, is we lose all this albumin in the blood. And the body, it loves to replace the albumin or it loves to replace the body with some type of protein to help balance that out or else we're going to get a ton of edema in this case. What happens in this case, have you ever heard of LDL, low-density lipoprotein? Well, what the body decides to do is they go, well, let's just get proteins from wherever we can. So the liver decides to release LDL to help balance out the level of protein in the blood. LDL we know is the bad cholesterol. 
So that's causing all this hyperlipidemia type of stuff, or dyslipidemia in this case. We're going to have high blood levels. Additionally, if we have a high amount of phosphorus in the blood, hyperphosphatemia, a lot of the times our bones are going to break down all that calcium to help balance it out, and it's going to put it into the blood. So then we're having all this bone breakdown, osteodystrophy type things as a result, leading to dyslipidemia, and osteodystrophy is our best examples here. That last one's a tough one, but I hope you kind of work through it. Today on the What's Eating You segment, I wanted to talk about a staple soup of mine, which is a caramelized carrot soup. I know, it sounds fancy, right? This is a pureed soup, so it's good for anyone with a chewing, swallowing issue, or if you're just really keen on getting a nice creamy texture of your soup there. We start out with about four to five pounds of peeled carrots. A little tip here is that the center of the carrots, that kind of core area, that contains a large amount of calcium, but also factors into having a very bitter taste. So a little tip here is that if you decide you want to remove that spot, you're gonna make your soup a lot sweeter and it's gonna be a nice, better texture as well. Um, or you could leave it in and keep the calcium if you wanted to, if you're fine to deal with that, I'm sure it'd be okay too. If you did wanna take it out, you would slice those carrots the top off as usual. Then you would wanna make sure that you cut them into quarters and then we're gonna kind of use a nice diagonal cut with, your, with a nice knife to kind of cut those cords out and remove them. After that, we can put those carrots in a large pot or better yet, an Instapot to cook it under pressure in this way. After that, we can put those carrots in there and we can cook them over a half cup of butter or replace it with your favorite flavorful cooking oil. Stir to combine and then add a small amount of water and salt. Remember, you can always salt it later if you needed to, unless your kidneys are no good, in which case let's hold off on that salt right now, okay? While those carrots cook, take two to three cups of fresh carrot juice from the store or the shelf and bring it to a boil. And once those carrots are nice and soft, fully cooked, we're gonna combine the carrot juice and the carrot mixture into a food processor or a blender. We're gonna blend that into a smooth, creamy puree in that case until it's to that thick consistency. Finally, it's ready to serve with some salt, some pepper, maybe even some chopped spring green onion if you wanted to as well. This soup is sweet as a dessert and you can serve it as your whole meal as it's actually that filling. And that's gonna tie it up for the Diet NPO podcast today. I appreciate all of you who listen. It makes me feel great to help educate you all and make you better at taking the exam or just learning about nutrition in general. I hope you learned how to prevent or treat kidney disease today. Don't forget to rate and review if you haven't. Check out my Instagram at Zach underscore snacks for new updates or RD tutoring needs. And hey, have a great day.